Greetings, comic book nerds, and welcome to episode 28 of the Pull List Podcast, a bi-weekly show about comics, pop culture, and faith. My name is Chris Poirier, and with me, as always, is the one and only Hector. How's it going, Hector? Full of the turkey? Ready for Christmas? Oh, man, I don't think I ate that much turkey. Um, and uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> That's um, fair. I'm barely... Well, uh, I'm barely over thanksgiving so no no not at all yeah christmas and holidays they they put those two things really close but we've got tons of comics to catch up on because we did an interview last time and well we we ate turkey or didn't eat turkey in the last week so we we got to catch up on all the comics so but it has been a long time and we shouldn't have left you without a dope beat to step to yeah i know so here we are Ooh, dropping those mad rhymes this morning so that note you know what that means strap yourselves in and prepare yourselves for we've got comic sign uh, better put the word out can't wait for the nerd out better put specs on better bring next on today's episode of The Polis, we've got another wonderful show for you. We're going to hit the latest news. Stan Lee has a memorial special airing on ABC. A Chew crossover is coming soon. Doctor Strange is opening up a school for kids. Strange, right? But, ooh, ah. Uh, I didn't mean to pun that one, but here we go. And everyone gets that Infinite Earths tie-in that you all wanted. You, you all wanted did. that, right? Well, sure. you're going to get it. All that and our polls from the last three weeks this is the pull list podcast so jumping right into the news we have a few things to update you on this is kind of the slow part of the year it seems ironic that a lot of other industries especially in media will kind of cram all their final things into the end of the year before the new year but comics tends to slow roll into the winter so you'll notice as we get to our polls that we've been gone for a month but it seems kind of short on polls but that's because like i said you know comic book artists and creators need to get into the holiday spirit too i suppose and they get some time off going into december is the kind of lull of the year but there are a few things coming um first of all abc disney and all those folks have put together a stan lee special and that's going to air on abc um, so, you know, Disney's own television there on December 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so I don't know a lot about this special, except that it's coming. I hadn't heard anything about it. And then I saw all these articles saying it's coming in a couple weeks here. So uh, warm up your DVRs if you want to see a little bit about Stan's life and see what Disney gives us in terms of Stan the Man and his great legacy. So that'll be December 20th at 8 p.m. How many of all of our wonderful listeners read the image book Chew? Did you ever get a chance to read that when it came out, Hector? I have a few issues, but I've not actually delved in because I wanted to have all of it before I started. I'm kind of in the same boat, um, but it's kind of this absolutely wacky, crazy idea, but there's a guy, um, he, he kind of eats the people and he actually works for the FDA as, you know, a food inspector. And, <laughs> yeah. This is the setup that I'm giving you all. Congratulations. And yeah, it's kind of wild, but so that's it, the entire Dexter with the food industry. Yeah, more or less. I think that might be a very fair thing. I don't know if John would be really upset with me if I indicated it that way. But yes, from the mind of John Lehman, and John's done a couple things in comics, but he's also done writing in the game space. So he's a multi-talented individual. But he's had a book out recently called Outer Darkness, um, and he's actually crossing the two realities. So I don't know... Uh, again a whole lot about how that's going to work but if you love chew and you've been picking up outer darkness or if you've not been picking up outer darkness this is your opportunity to see both of those things happening in the same and or similar universes so creator owned is a thing and it's a wonderful thing john's a great guy so go, go read what john's putting out he's a good dude and i just said you know people who eat people fda dexter story 
So if that's your thing, keep your eyes out. It's coming out. Bro, if there aren't gratuitous panels of him flossing, they failed. (laughs) Um, Ooh, that's a good one. And so moving on into the big two for our final pieces of news for this wonderful catch up episode. Believe it or not, starting in March next year, Marvel 2020, the one and only Sorcerer Supreme, Doctor Strange, apparently is going to open a school for the children's. And I didn't say a wizarding school for the children's for obvious reasons, but it it kind of is that. But it's called Strange Academy. Pretty sure pun fully intended there. Um, and Scotty Young is writing and Humberto Ramos is doing the art. And so early pictures from it looks pretty cool. Um, so if you've always wondered what the strange children of the Marvel Universe with magical, mystical powers and Doctor Strange and his ghost dog running a academy would look like, you're going to get your wish in March. So it's and Magic coming from men. <laughs> right it actually i kind of was like maybe this is like that umbrella academy feel but i don't know that he's just gonna be like hi come on down to the strange home and we'll do strange things and teach you about your mystical powers so it's so, x-men and umbrella academy with dr strange because marvel doesn't know what to do with dr strange that that was super honest but that's probably the most accurate representation of what is going on in dr strange's universe because yeah dude the last few years just in the time i've been a little more active in the marvel universe they have like done some banana stuff with dr strange right donny cates went like total crazy places with him um i i mean we got bats the ghost dog out of it and i'm sorry that's not a spoiler at this point if you're not up to date on bats the ghost dog then Dude, i I'm barely sorry. give you three weeks you don't right. get years yeah right this, this is on the order of magnitude of like last summer that happened um and you should have read that because it was brilliant and bats is is wonderful poor little ghost dog um and he scares spider-man it's what makes everything worth it oh that and we'll see Spider-Man like a ton because they wrote Spider-Man in and out of Doctor Strange for like the last 12 months as well. So, yes, Doctor Strange is running a school for kids because being a veterinarian wasn't working out. And Bats the Ghost Dog, I guess, felt like they needed to do more. Seem legit? Sure. Yeah, works for me. I'll read it. It's Scotty Young. I'll give it a shot. Um, He's crazy. And finally, over at DC... All of you, unless you've been living under a CW-sized rock, are probably aware that CW is crossing over all their DC shows into a crisis on multiple Earths. And that's going to be bonkers in and of itself, especially that they're like pulling in actors from across the DC universe, not just CWs, but everywhere. It's totally worth it just to get Kevin Conroy in a physical version of Batman and the fact that it looks like it's going to be Kingdom Come Batman is amazing. Yes. Yep. The fact that they're also pulling the Kingdom Come line into all of it and everything because Ruth is playing um, the Superman from Kingdom Come. So yeah, there's and, there's and a how lot. does Ruth look better as Superman now than he did, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. I know, right? So Crisis on Infinite Earths, CW, the hype is real. But just in case you weren't hyped enough, DC has been rolling out tons of these hundred page giants, which have been kind of collections of previous work. But this is actually going to be kind of a tie in to directly with what's going on in Infinite Earths and the Arrowverse stuff and everything CW. So congratulations. Your stuff on the page is going to line up with the stuff on the small screen and Please, 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 please don't suck. <laughs> I, I wish, I mean, they've done a pretty good job in general, CW has with all their shows, but some of them also are like careening towards the, okay, you, you've made your point. You did this okay, but now you're kind of floundering. So I, I'm hoping. Well, they lost me a while ago. Like, and not- they lost me too. And that's why I'm like, you're, you're getting here, but you lost me almost a year ago. And that kind of pains me. So. Not they lost me out of I don't not that it was terrible. They lost me of this just so much. That's fair. That I don't have time to dedicate 
to that many shows with that. Now, Legends was the only reason I picked up Legends at all ever was because Arthur Darville, Rory Williams from Doctor Who was on it. Um, I only made it. I only picked it up for a couple episodes. Um, I watched like the first two of Air, of Flash, maybe three. I watched the first like five of Arrow, but like, dude, I just I can't. Like, there's too much and too many. I hate to say it, there are too many better things to waste 25 hours of my year on. And now you have HBO Watchmen and just like people doing continuity based or adjacent shows are just everywhere now. I mean, I bring up HBO because it's HBO. HBO is over there sitting there going, yeah, we want some of that action. Now, here's the deal. The Arrowverse totally did. And the fact it's called the Arrowverse, the fact they have a universe yes. is, you know, that says everything. They built a successful comic based universe for people who, by and large, had not known the comic industry. So yep. um, good for you. You did great things. Um, but for me, it's the CW shows are basically like the Walmart giants for DC Comics. There. So this makes sense. It's a perfect crossover, right? It really does. In the sense that it's it's the mass marketed bulk version of smaller storytelling to a broader audience. It's also the CW basically gave us comic book Dawson's Creek, and I'm not sorry for that. No, I get that. You can at me, um, because that's kind of what started to lure me away. Is that's their primary audience, and I understand that. So a lot of their storylines leaned in that direction, or began to. So I, I was over. I didn't need Dawson Creek and Spandex. That's kind of where I ended up on it. But yes, a lot of those shows in their first four seasons were freaking excellent, and most of them remain so. And Arrow is coming to a conclusion on top of this crisis on Infinite Earth. So. Good for them. They've been able to tell a lot of DC's major crossover events over the last five to eight plus years now. And their crossover events have been some of their best work. Yes. No, absolutely. And and done well. And like you said, pulled in new folks and just the number of actors and everything they're bringing to bear on this one um, is really kind of cool. So they're going to get my attention either way. But yep, 100 page of comics go along with it. So you can keep an eye out for those coming in the near future. So that's our news. As always, you can join in on the conversation with Hector and I and all of your other nerdy friends on the Love Thy Nerd Facebook community. Just search for Love Thy Nerd community there on the Book of Faces. Hit join and begin your geeky adventure with all of us. Tell us what you liked, what you hated, and possibly even what you what we've missed because we just love talking about comics and what's going on in general. Because You've gotten excited over these three weeks, haven't you? I know. Well, we haven't talked about comics. We did a really awesome interview with Meredith. And actually, maybe that's like just before we finish the last bit of news that for those of you that did listen to our last episode with our interview with writer Meredith Finch and her project over at Kickstarter, The Book of Ruth, that project did fully fund. So thanks to all of our listeners that, you know, threw in behind that and thought that was a worthy thing to get behind. But for all of us that kickstarted that bad boy we should be seeing it early next year so coming yeah, from meredith i almost missed the final warning update your address email of for the kickstart because i'm terrible my kickstarts linked to an email i don't actually use yeah i'm kind of similar i so always have to pay attention to that i totally missed the final warning and i was like oh, oh wait no no <laughs> nope i would like that please so we do good things here. We share our love. But that's the news, folks. Uh, as we said, things kind of run slow in December. So we're going to spend the bulk of our time then talking about all those wonderful, wonderful pulpy goodness that were on our local comic book shelves. So, Hector, yes. over the last three weeks... Tell me the things that you pulled, why they made your head explode or not explode, and what should the lovely people out there be reading? Well, surprise, Batman. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'll say this, like, the City of Bane stuff has totally kicked up 
so many notches. Um, I might numbering might be off, but I don't think I am. Eighty two was like straight violence, just violence. Um, so if you like a good actiony comic, eighty two was that. Eighty two was like reading the meatier parts of three hundred. Um, like it was that kind of serious. Uh, there's at one point Bane chucks Catwoman against a brick wall. And uh, the panel just says crack, like when her bones hit. And like, I legit was nervous to turn the page. I'm like, did they just kill Catwoman? Was that whole bat and cat thing a lie? Because like that, like by all physics, she just died. Um. (laughs) Well, Batman physics, because he doesn't kill anybody. Remember that. (laughs) That was Bane. Bane killed people. That's fair. Um, We've already seen that. Um, On that note. Uh, Batman 83 is traumatic and I don't like life anymore. Um, right. Batman 83. So, you know, this was one of those deals of, uh, a few weeks back, Bane killed Alfred. You, sorry, not spoilers. This is a month Yeah, ago. we would put a spoiler warning in front of everything, but Hector and I did talk a little while before the podcast today and decided, no, we're we're really not hitting anything that people should be shocked by at this point. That yeah, if you haven't been reading our bad, sorry, but we've literally been telling you about Batman Tom King and Batman since the first day you heard Hector and my voice on this wonderful podcast. So sorry, not sorry. Yeah. But this is kind of the confirmation, and there were some articles out there as well that said no no, this at least running into one more issue, you know, some of us were postulating whether psycho pirate was really doing this emotionally to Batman or not. But, um, it seems pretty clear that this happened. Alfred's gone. And 83 was literally just, Oh, I did the same thing. I was like, Oh, Tom's going to do a bottle episode, but it was all on Batman coming to terms with what had occurred and everything. And yeah, it, it broke me. Well, dude, like the first page, like and if you just Google oh, it. Oh, yeah. The first page you see Batman waking up tied to a table and you just see the expression of pure terror and horror and pain go across his face over panels. And I'm not kidding. I didn't want to turn the page because I knew what this was heading towards. I knew what was going to be on the other side of the table. Yep. And just on the pure horror of this, Bane cemented or not Bane, I guess at this point it was Thomas. Um, Thomas Wayne cemented Bruce in a room with Alfred's dead body. Yep. And that's all of Batman 83 and it's horrendous. Um, now I still was holding out full hope that this was not going to be permanent or long term. Um, but that actually, I, I still have that ounce of hope in a single issue because it was either it was it at the end of 83 it was at the end of 83 or 84 that thomas is like right end game time go get psycho pirate and i'm like right so again okay you i'm fine with that that doesn't like throw me off or i have any beef with that my beef is our mutual friend lee weeks who Uh, is a comics legend. He did Batman 83 and all that stuff. And, uh, 53, 83, back in the 53. day. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, he did 53 and he, on his personal Facebook, posted a cover to the memorial issue to Alfred. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, also he's stri- Yeah, that's what told me that this is for real when you've got a DC comics artist posting the cover he's working on saying goodbye to Alfred. And I'm like, well, crap. That's when I knew it was legit. Um, (laughs) well, that that's a thing now. And that came before Batman 83. Um, but, uh, why'd you have to take my hope like that? No, dude, it's over. Um, but okay. And so then Batman 84, uh, just straight up, um, is a masterpiece of storytelling. I say not lightly. Um, it is 
Thomas's backstory on why he's here and what he's doing and why he's put Bruce through so much hell. And, but the beautiful thing is it just, it starts at the current point of the story and works its way down to the beginning. And my favorite thing, which is I told Chris, as soon as I got done reading it, it was once you've read it once, read it like a manga, start on the last page and read one page at a time moving backwards. And to me, it's a better story doing it that way. But also it has the fearful symmetry aspect from like Watchmen. So um, totally Batman 84 was a masterpiece for me. I was super down with that. Um, And because I read it that way, when you told me it was really trippy because, you know, Art is one of those things that is, can be interpreted through the eyes of the beholder and everything, which is the fascinating and most wonderful thing about art in general. But I feel like that book had to have been planned meticulously that way, because even from the source of reading some of the dialogue in that way, makes some of like some of those things literally worked, like you said, almost better backwards than it did the first way. Well, like definitely the stuff my with head Catwoman. Hurt. Yes. Catwoman and Thomas and Martha and all of that was way better. Which, by the way, uh, if you are a fan of DC's Flashpoint um, and you're not reading Batman, you should definitely just pick up issue 84 because in many ways, this is just a Flashpoint issue. Yeah, they finally filled a lot of gaps on things that we didn't know occurred or how they occurred in the Flashpoint universe and also explains a little bit more of why we saw that crossover the button way back when when oh, Rebirth this makes started. the button so much more understandable. Yup, that you know, all of us have been sitting here going, When are you gonna get to the freaking point? Well, they got to the freaking point. <laughs> and it was kind of mind blowing because if you think you figured out where Tom's going to end up issue 84 proved, I think for most of us that we had no freaking idea. <laughs> I ended up with an idea of like, Oh, they really will just do this. And I'll leave that blank. But like, I could totally see this ending a certain way now and not being surprised by that. Right. Um, now there's, there's a very deep DC history being told now it's starting to make sense with everything going on in the DC universe. I think I mentioned to you offline as well that this is the side of the DC event world that I'm like super excited about that. This makes where doomsday clock is going much more interesting. What flashpoint had to do with everything suddenly is very interesting all the way back to the rebirth, you know, special that set up this current universe is interesting, but DC Let's get real for like a millisecond here. The other side of your universe with year of the villain and everything. I do not see how these two things are occurring in the same universe. And it's making me sad. Yeah. There's some obligatory. Oh, look, some green light in the sky tie ins. And how some stuff happened. But man, that wasn't a win. Right. And unfortunately, I still think based on everything, year of the villain is going to be where they're actually going with this. And, I, I uh, don't make me really sad, DC. <laughs> Please no. But yes, I, I think Hector and I are saying if you're not reading Batman, freaking read it. Finally, <laughs> there were some slow parts, like we said, towards the middle, but all of it is making sense. They even tied back to the to the slow part for like a millisecond. Did you catch that panel? I think it was in '84. Um where it was a quick throwback to him dragging the coffin through the desert. And I was like, Oh Oh, yeah. Him him crawling out of the pit and everything. Yeah. I was like, so Tom is pretty close to putting a bow on this masterpiece. So I'm really excited about where 85 is going to end up. And there's lots of dead bodies, lots of dead bodies. Let the bodies in the floor. Let the bodies (laughs) in the floor. Yeah, everyone forgets that Thomas is the gun-toting version of Batman, and he just to- he was like gonna tap some loose ends by shooting lots of fools. But that one panel, I want to say it was in '83, where you see uh, um, 
Batman walk through a hallway of all of his loved ones, like under psycho pirate control. That was chilling. That was chilling. Um, Moving on. Rose, uh, the series from Meredith Finch. I, after during our podcast, she was talking about her book and to be super real. I hadn't heard of it before. Um, (laughs) You're welcome. um, And so I picked that up and I'm about think halfway through the first graphic novel. Um, and it's a really cool story of magic and warriors and uh it feels like something I would watch on Netflix. Um and I'm enjoying it. Um but it's like evil queen trying to snuff out all magic just to uh make sure nobody can challenge her and rogues and cool people and stuff. The art looks really familiar. Um but I'll just say this, it Rose is a good graphic novel, so there, I think there are three volumes out. If you get the chance to pick it up, I would recommend it. And then, uh, for me, jumping over to uh, the uh, Marvel side of the world, uh, the X Men books have been pretty interesting. Um, like Chris and I said, there's no way to keep up with all of these unless you just are made of money. I'm and and I'm not, so I'm not. So tell tell me the ones I should be reading. <laughs> Like my wife is like, so, uh, all of these comic books, how's that going? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. It's work. Um, not really. Um, <laughs> it, there were heavy air quotes there. Maybe, maybe that means we have to Patreon this or something. We, oh, gosh. Are we going to be, are we going to become those people? No, I don't want to. You um, can send money to us and we'll read all the, the X books. If that's <laughs> what the Marvel fans would like. Just call Marvel and say, Hey send us all your books. We'll read them and talk about them in pseudo loving manners. Um, <laughs> but uh, personally speaking, I am reading, I picked up the first of every mark of X book um, just to dip my toes in the water. Um, after reading the first of every X book, I kept X force Marauders and X-Men. Okay. Um, I kept, uh, X Force, just because I like a little more pulp in my orange juice, um, <laughs> and X Force has not failed to deliver. You get Wolverine slashing people, and you get a little more of the dark and the grit. But also, I love Domino. If you've listened to any of the past years of our podcast, and I hate what has been done to Domino in this, just because Aww. she's been tortured and it's brutal and ugly, um, and I don't know her current like a live status or not. But um, again, y'all are super behind. So this is like a month or two behind. So, you know, brace yourselves for the mediocre. Um, (laughs) uh, They killed Professor X in X-Force number one or two. Like early issue. Uh, People got onto the island and straight shot Professor X in the head. Um, And they have not resurrected him yet. And they're not sure if they can. And that also ties into Cerebro. Right. Um, Okay. uh, And they honestly seemed more concerned about rebuilding Cerebro than raising Charles. Um, And they got onto the island. And here's where the evil douchebaggery is. They got onto the island because there's like biometric scanners. And they skinned Domino and grafted chunks of her skin to their flesh. Oh no! And ew. wow, X X Force is not for the kitties, yo. No, it's it's the pulp and the orange juice, yo. Um, and so that's kind of where X Force has been. But Marauders has literally been Kitty Pride being a pirate, and uh, it literally is Pirates of the Caribbean with a uh, you know Emma and Sebastian Shaw being like the the trading company. And Kitty Pride being Johnny Depp. Um, <laughs> Can we just talk about the fact that Sebastian Shaw is suddenly like a household name in the X universe once again? It's been yeah. a hot minute. It, dude, it hasn't been since um, Joss Whedon's X-Men. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and he was only a, a household name for like five issues. Um, Like that last run or the next to last run in Joss Whedon's was the last time Sebastian Shaw was even a thing to my knowledge. Um, but now Kitty Pride is a pirate smuggling Krakoa medicines and whatnot, but, uh, she's being a dirty pirate <laughs> is where it's at. Um, she instead gets of work. a parrot, she has a dragon. 
yeah i see what uh, they did there yeah it's super nice she has a bandana um (laughs) but uh they when she found out and here's the thing they pulled no punches like the day charles was shot in x-force if you picked up another marvel book oh they killed charles like so like it's real time. You can't wait a week or two. All of these things are like piggybacking real fast. Um, and so literally you see Kitty find out that Charles is dead. She gets drunk and go gets a tattoo and kisses the tattoo artist. And like Kitty pride has knuckle tattoos. Y'all knuckle tattoos. <laughs> what? Kitty pride straight has biker knuckle tattoos that say hold fast. So is Kitty Pride baking Breaking Bad or Kitty is... Pride is Kitty Pride is the one who knocks and <laughs> okay she knocks the you. boat um but like straight up she got she went and got drunk uh got hold fast tattooed on her knuckles and then kissed the tattoo artist paid him like twenty grand and said remember this for when I'm broke later and <laughs> walked away. Wow. So she's rolling that thug pirate life in Marauders. She, okay. she straight is. And then you've got the Shaws and the white Queens, like playing the political game. So that's, it's like, that's weird to me. Yeah. And so those are totally worth reading. Um, if in real talk, uh, the X-Men book is the lamest I'm reading out of the X-Men books. Like X-Men, like one, two, three are is the weakest out of the books I'm reading. So if I had to read just an X Men book, I would not be X Men itself. Oh, fascinating! So okay, well then I will bump X Men to the top of my discussion point because we're here, and so that means we have to talk about X Men number three, which just recently came out. And you know what? Based on what you've told me, that sounds pretty fair because I've been I kind of hit number three and suddenly became slightly underwhelmed with what I thought would be the the main story. And I feel like it's leaning in towards the monster of the week category. Um, So bad guy of the week kind of thing. And that works in comics. I'm not downing that there's going to be people that love that as a model. There are people that don't love that as a model and team books. That's usually what you end up with is a baddie of the week or a baddie of the arc, at least kind of thing. And X-Men number three gave us some of the nicest old ladies ever that are not so nice. (laughs) It was X-Men versus the golden girls. It was the X-Men versus the golden girls. And that's pretty fair. Uh, Heavy sarcasm a fly, but you know, they're, they're trying to steal some of the medicines and everything. They found their way into the Savage Lands and kind of created a little ecosystem for themselves, blocking out the X-Men. So, you know, talking about that whole DNA scanning ability for getting to the island and everything, they somehow figured out. And they didn't really get to how they did it, but kind of created their thing. And so well, it's because they're plant people and they manipulated the plant. Right. Um, but. I got to say, Krakoa has proven to be like the least safe place on Earth because they're like the fourth people to raid this thing. Right. So that the X-Men finally create their their safe little place and everything. And it's been once a week that like baddies are like, yo, we broke your system. (laughs) Right. Without without, with barely trying. Who's in charge of security? Because that dude should get fired. (laughs) What's really funny is like all these bad guys can make it through the gates, but certain mutants can't that's one of the reasons why kitty pride is being a pirate is because the gates won't let her through right no that's a good point is i did read marauders number one so that setup of and wasn't part of it that she was going to go and find the other you know kind of outcasts such as it were yeah so she can't find find their way through the gate yeah so it's crazy dude yeah there's there's a lot going on in the x-men universe and yeah x-men the main line, I guess you're right. I guess I have to forego my original statement of saying that I wasn't going to read the spinoff books, thinking that there was going to be where the trash be located and that somehow they managed to invert uh, the thing. I mean, X-Men can still go somewhere. It's early. It's issue three. Um, but I feel like it started to lose my interest faster than I intended. But X-Force and Marauder sounds really badass. So 
I humbly submit that Chris was wrong. And I guess I need to pick those up and find out what's really going on and sound interesting. New, like New Mutants was interesting, but I don't care. And uh, Excalibur, just no. And Excalibur is always going to be that book. People either love it or hate it. I don't think there's anyone that's just like, eh. Yeah, well, it's definitely a hard pass on for me. <laughs> so X-Men, Marvel, you're you're still doing it. Hector and Chris are still here. That's an achievement in and of itself. You're getting more of my money than you have in like two, two decades. So Boom. Get. this is the most money I've given Marvel since the clone, the clone saga. Oof. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know that the clone saga is what broke most people of the Marvel habit. Um, yeah. It's sad. But Spider-Man, it's a thing. Sort of. Yeah, sure. Sure it is. <laughs> but. I will continue to sing my praises of Marvel um, and Daredevil because Chip Zdarsky is continuing to write a a great Daredevil story that Daredevil hasn't been in for a while. I mean, Daredevil well, is in. That's great like, when you can tell a Daredevil story that doesn't have to be focused on Matt Murdock, though. And honestly, it's almost more of a kingpin book at this point. Um, but a little bit. A little um, bit. We're getting Daredevil, Matt Murdock back into the. Okay, we've gone through this whole spiritual awakening thing of the I've been doing terrible things and maybe I shouldn't be doing terrible things, even if it helps people. Murdoch's been battling himself through this entire thing. And that's why he hung up the thing because lots more people were getting hurt and he was being chased by the police and Kingpin. But on the other side of the story, you have Kingpin who's still mayor. um, And is like hitting his wits end that he's like on this verge of like sort of breaking good, (laughs) but more so just not wanting to be in the day to day of the underworld and the underworld's like, cool, we got our opportunity to push the kingpin out. And so these gang wars of all the other bad guys are starting to crop up and issue 13 of daredevil was kind of like Batman 83 that it was Kingpin's oh god what do I do moment that he was that, was, 80, was that 12 or 13 I think it was 13 because um, 12 was the incident 13 was the cleanup 13 was the cleanup correct and that's exactly it that okay he was at you know basically these rich punks place and being they were like who the crap are you and he literally kingpin and i love it (laughs) and he literally loses his mind and excuses himself to go to the bathroom and runs into one of these dudes and just goes straight kingpin blind rage and beats the living crap out of this dude repainting his bathroom with his blood and 13 is (laughs) so so dead (laughs) and so he's not in his place. He's in somebody else's mansion with, you know, rich dude with the collar popped, bleeding out in the in the tub. And he's like, what? It, but what do I do? So he calls his fixer and his fixer's like, cool, this is what we're going to do. And like they bribe the housekeeper to come in and clean it. And they're like, so help us. We will kill your family if you scream and opens the door. And the house cleaner kind of gives everybody the, ah, for real. <laughs> Cause literally this room is just covered in this dude. I blood. just cleaned that. Right. And so he cleans it and he's like, Hey, I did a good job. And they're like, he's like, but I'm not done. And they're like, well, you are. And then they murder him because that's what bad people do. And they make it look like a suicide. So that's how Kingpin rolls on that one is the, oh, I don't know. He he just seemed to kind of snap and this happened. And oh, so terrible. But Kingpin's like unhinged, but unhinged in a really weird way for Kingpin. And then all the way on the other side of the spectrum in issue 14, and some of it was still going on 13, is Matt still trying to figure out how he fixes what's going on, knowing that things are about to get worse and that he's not Daredevil. The cops are looking for him. The one guy that's looking for him, he finally befriends and sits down for a cup of coffee, and they have a really interesting conversation about, well, what actually is doing good? 
And Matt's also in this process of being retrained, if you will, by Electra. So Electra's here and there's all kinds of, you know, very daredevil things going on, but he hasn't put the suit on in over six issues. Like well, he's, almost- uh, he's on a daredevil season one on Netflix suit status at this point, almost right. And almost a little of season three, too, of, you know, wearing the hoodie and and being incognito. Um, Man, so, I miss that show. Right? It's really great. Um, so. Daredevil is just a really good book right now, and it's not your typical um, superhero story. And I dig it. I, it hasn't really been for a while since they did the death of Daredevil and that leading into this and Sadarsky's just been on it. And yeah. that's what I really appreciate about what's going on here. So see, we continue to say incredibly nice things about Marvel and especially Daredevil and what Chip Sadarsky's doing. So pick that up. Moving right along, I have <laughs> an image book that is completely on the opposite end. Wait, they're of... still a company? I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> um but um, I saw this on the shelf. It's a book called Undiscovered Country. And just looking at the cover, I was like, wait, wait go on. Because it's Snyder and Sewell co-writing. Yeah, I and, saw that. And Go on. I'm interested. Right? It's like the most strange um, gathering of folks. And the best part about it is they actually tell you how this happened. In the very end of the first issue, there's like a three page letter. You know how sometimes writers and creators will write their letters when they start something or they end something that kind of give you the how we got here. Well, it literally was they were both at some random show and they were like, hey, we should do a thing together. That'd be really fun. And it's awesome when creators do that. And they're like, cool. Well, what are we going to do? And they're like, we we don't know, but we kind of have this random idea. Um. And then they talk in very obscure terms about a friend of theirs who used to work in national security and used to work for the CIA, but they know really well. <coughs> Tom King. Um, what? Uh, it, it does, they didn't say that, but if it's not, it's just dumbfounding if you read this letter and go, well, how would these two guys know this random national security CIA guy, um, but then not say his name? I don't know. It could be someone else, but it seems weird to me that two comic book guys would know another rando CIA guy and not mention him by name. But, uh, and they got like a tour of Langley and like other stuff. And they got really jazzed about this idea of the cold war and like super craziness about isolation. And then they also got introduced to guys at the department of defense and, uh, DARPA, which is, you know, the tech, um, incubator for DOD. They're the guys that come up with all the crazy new ideas for defense tech and everything. And Undiscovered Country came out of all of that. And what Undiscovered Country is, is apparently 30 years ago in the past, not sure exactly where they fall in the timeline at the moment, the United States went complete isolationist, built a force field around itself, and cut off all communication with the rest of the world to protect itself. And the first book is a helicopter full of scientists slash military dudes crossing into the United States for the first time in over 30 years that literally no one's talked to the U.S. No one knows what's going on inside the United States. But a random message had come out saying they finally needed to talk to somebody because the other half of the story is there's this really crazy plague finding its way around the world that no one knows how to cure. And you're introduced to a doctor on this team that was working on it somewhere in Africa. The only other part that's important to know is that basically Europe and Africa have formed like a super nation. And there's one other super nation kind of involved in this. And you fly into the United States and they get shot down. And you basically find out Mad Max is king inside the U.S. And that's where (laughs) uh, Undiscovered Country number one leaves you. And you get introduced to a character that looks super familiar from United States history. And you don't know why. And his name is Sam. And that's all I'm going to give you. Oh, Lord. Because it's kind of crazy. 
Um, is he a distant relative, Sam? <laughs> they've given us absolutely. They've given us absolutely nothing except that that dude's name is Sam and bears a striking resemblance. <laughs> so, I use lots of insane words in that definition of what this book is. I'm picking up issue number two based on all of that alone. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, because they didn't give us a lot. So now I just want to know. And that's what I love about creator owned and image is that's where ideas like that hit the page. Otherwise we never get to see cool things like that. Fair so, enough. Undiscovered country. Number one, check it. Um, yeah, absolutely. So my other random of goodness, cause I'm full of them because the last three weeks, like I said, you know, kind of slow, but like really cool one offs or whatever. So, from the wonderful, amazing Dark Horse Comics brings you from wonderful creator Tommy Lee Edwards, a good friend. He does cool art. So when he dedicates to a project, I dig it when he does an entire book. And that is Hazel and Cha-Cha Save Christmas. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, it means that you are unfamiliar with the Umbrella Academy. And this is a story from the Umbrella Academy world of Hazel and Cha-Cha, who were the time fixers from the series and from the comic itself that wear the funny, crazy mask. But basically, their job is to murder people that have slightly altered the timelines in all the wrong ways or they need to remove from the timeline. And it's a great setup because this book opens with them kind of, you know, at the agency that we got from the Netflix show of, you know, all the people kind of sitting behind their desks and, you know, staring at the timeline and making sure everything's cool. But it's a meeting of all the fixers and they're being reminded that their job is to fix the thing, not to literally blow it up and mutilate it to the point that they have to fix the fix. (laughs) And if you're familiar with Hazel and Cha-Cha, they usually go a little over the top, lots of collateral damage typically. And well, That's not really useful (laughs) for time fixers because you're supposed to fix the problem discreetly, not make bigger problems. And it's just a wild ride of them going to fix part of it in a Christmas story where Santa is an amazing individual that eventually brings them both a bazooka to help them fix their problems. But means that they violated their new orders that they're not supposed to like literally nuke a town to fix a small problem so if you're just looking for a real quick easy read that's super fun uh that has santa claus and weird people wearing masks and things blowing up hazel and cha-cha save christmas you're welcome i was at a nc comic-con a couple weeks back when they were actually premiering the book early and so it was pretty cool that you could get because Tommy Lee Edwards was there, you could get the book almost two or three weeks early and get uh, in a variant cover. So it was pretty neat. Yes. I think they uh, offered the uh, Jim Mafood uh, covered because Jim was there as well. And mm-hmm. those dudes are friends and it's wonderful. And if you're curious in what that looks like, that's the version of the book I linked in the show notes. So you can see Jim does some crazy stylistic stuff and that was a fun one, but that was just a fun book front to back. Um, so if you love that Umbrella Academy world and just Hazel and Cha-Cha, who are two of my favorite people from the Umbrella Academy, um, they blow stuff up. It's a good time. Do you also catch Hector, speaking of randomness for the week? Because I feel like these are random and maybe it's just how we talk about them. But Firefly number 11 finally came out. Um, yeah, I can't I can't figure out if it's just random or if it just feels random to us because it falls on a weird schedule. But so I'm Hector and I that's weird schedule. It must be. Um, but I think folks will remember Hector and I kind of said we're kind of weirded out by this book right now. And I think Firefly 11 helped us prove it's a little weird. Um, Because in the last issue, we got introduced to Malcolm Reynolds' mother. That was the thing. Who we thought was dead. Who we thought was dead. Yep. And that she is like a hardcore, uh, the brown coat shall rise again leader. And we just dive headfirst back into starting 
the second unification war it feels like and i just don't know this book started out so good it really did and this kind of made me sad it's still making me sad because they're going all in on the no the brown coats will rise again thing and there's a standoff about to happen and Malcolm and the crew and everyone's like, well, I guess we're doing Serenity Valley part two and Serenity Valley part one didn't end well. So I, I I don't know what's going on. I'm a, my beef too was that this was supposed to be the thing that took place between Firefly and Serenity. And right. So how did how did we miss the part where like there was almost a, there was a Serenity Valley part two? Yeah, this we've gone beyond the point where it could have fit comfortably to the there's like no way on earth this fits between now and Serenity. Yeah. So I I'm gonna see it through. Oh yeah, I'll finish it. But it's super weird for Firefly fans. I just gotta say that I mean it's there's some interesting things going on, but it almost feels like we're just playing off Firefly tropes now. And that kind of bums me because Jane's like straight up a Jane trope of himself. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's my I'm still talking about it, but I'm still kind of bummed about it thing. And I think that leads me to the last book from the last couple weeks. That's probably a great place for us to end our catch up on was the Batman white Knight presents Von freeze. Hmm. Did you yeah. get a, you get a chance to read it. I did. And so this is, you know, we're in the Sean Murphy universe here in the white Knight universe. So this is kind of the Dr. Freeze retelling origin. And it's an interesting story. It ties him and his father back to Nazi Germany and the original cold gun was basically his father's project for Nazi Germany. But we get this strange kind of back and forth story of his father worked with a Jewish family originally. And the story is told against this backdrop of that the von Frieses really didn't want to turn to the Nazi party and everything, but they felt to protect themselves and the other family they needed to. So it's a little Victor's, bit Schindler's list. A yeah, bit. It's a little Schindler's list. And I was thinking the same thing, but it also kind of asks that question of, cause he eventually, unlike Schindler's list where Schindler, you know, was an independent businessman that ended up supporting Nazi Germany that, Victor's father actually joins the SS as uh, one of their doctors and programs. And so they, they depict the horror of that means that he was using human beings as part of his experiments with the freeze gun and everything and trying to justify it, that he was protecting that one family. So there's that really awkward conversation of I'm helping, but I'm still kind of a Nazi. And so it was kind of a tough read through that, but an interesting story because what we get in this version in this world is where Nora came from, where Victor's wife comes from and that she was the daughter of this, of the Jewish family that was being protected by his father. And they all attempt to escape towards the end of the book. And Victor ends up saving a very young Nora. And then you find out in current time, Sean Murphy universe that they're all working together, that Nora works for Victor and Victor is working for Thomas Wayne. And so that's kind of where you see all the pieces of Dr. Freeze come back to working on cryogenics, except it's for, it's for Wayne tech and it's an interesting story. If you want a Nazi book about an old Mr. Freeze family lineage with the same people that make white Knight, this is for you. That's basically it. If that doesn't sound remotely appealing, don't don't. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's super fair. Um, Cause that's exactly what it is. I I think Hector nailed it kind of in, in I I don't regret reading it, but 
It did feel weird. Yeah. I don't know that my life is better for reading it, but if Nazi stories and World War II stuff and like clever backstories into the Murphy universe, because it does play into continuity with this. And also uh, just saw on Sean Murphy's Twitter that he's writing book three um, for the White Knight universe, um, like beyond the White Knight. Um, Right. So there's more coming. Which is great. So I think those were most of the books that I pulled. Were there any other books that you that jumped off the shelf for you? I don't think we had any listener recommendations over the last couple of weeks. Everyone was kind of reading the same stuff. So that's a good sign. We're all reading wonderful new things with one another. That's about it, dude. I mean, there's a lot of the other things like I officially gave up on Immortal Hulk. <laughs> um, uh, Vent Leviathan ended like trash. Yeah, and- we, we could talk about that, but here, we'll give you the really, really short version. So out of all the clever things that Leviathan could have been, DC decided to unearth very old character and old team that actually predates the Lantern Corps. Um, and that's who it is. So kind of part of the whole thing of the Legion of Superheroes, um, the JSA coming back that it seems that part of a lot of what's going on in the DC universe right now is bringing forward a lot of things from the golden age of comics. So what's old is new again. And honestly, for a lot of folks, if you are not really aware of old school DC continuity, that reveal meant literally nothing, nothing. to you. And that's that's tough. It's interesting because we may get to see stories of characters that are new um, to a lot of folks, but building up towards the who could it be, who could it be, and the amount of pe- the number of people that would have known that at first read without Googling it is kind of low. Super um, real. I had no idea who that yep. was. Nope. I had heard from someone else, so I had already Googled it and I was like, oh, but even reading it, I was like, okay, even that name's not familiar, which means they haven't mentioned him in forever. Um, so, it's a thing, and that's why we say it's why we mentioned earlier that what's going on in Doomsday Clock and Batman with uh, um, the old continuity from New Fifty Two and Rebirth and Flashpoint, super cool. Other side of the DC universe, what are you doing? <laughs> so let, let me not even just leave it on DC though. Uh, Absolute Carnage also ended as trash. Um, <laughs> so like that played off to be like, Oh man, let's drum up the nostalgia of maximum carnage. And now it was no, I mean, it was okay, but it had as much substance as like a dollar tree lunchable. And and so it was just another way to sell covers and leave the Marvel universe. No different than before really long-term other than Eddie Brock's got a weird, sun situation <laughs> and that is basically 2019 in the comics world folks uh, yeah so that's going to be it for us here at the polis podcast episode 28 is in the can and now in your ears but we couldn't possibly do any of this alone as many of you know we take this epic journey of podcasts and fandom with two other amazing podcasts that are all part of the love thy nerd podcast network first we have humans of gaming with drew and chris they do interviews with game designers producers creators and they really get to the heart of why those creators make the things that they make and why they do what they do and the second one is the free play podcast with bubba matt and kate And they talk about just about everything else that's nerdy going on in video games and just nerddom in general. And they have a grand old time over there. So make sure to check that out. And there's constantly more content coming from Love Thy Nerd. So keep an eye out in 2020. That's going to be it for Hector and I in 2019. We're going to take a break through the new year because, well, we we earned it, didn't didn't we? I feel like we did. Um, So we get paid in lanyards. Yeah, we get paid in lanyards and I've got all the lanyards and 2020 is going to be a great year. We will come back just after the new year and cover our 2019 best of. So stay tuned. Let us know what you thought were some of the best issues, arcs, et cetera, from 2019. And we'll come back 
in 2020 and recover everything that was comics in 2019. So Hector and I once again want to thank all of you for choosing us to be your primary source in all things comic booky and generally nerdy on we a better be. yeah we should be on a near weekly basis. So don't leave us hanging. Rate and review the show on your favorite podcasting app of choice. We're on the iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, so many other things. Let us know how we're doing. Share with all of your friends. Happy 2019, folks. Thanks for listening. And remember, kids, read more comics. comics.